You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. I've just been thinking a lot about um, a lot of the issues that the world that we face as a as a society. Um, uh, if you just want to get depressed, just start diving into the medical system and those kind of things and the structure, the big structures of things, and you're just like, oh, man. But I've had this thought that's caused this pursuit of why is it in our nature? It seems since the dawn of time, since the fall of man, from that point on, when we were kicked out of the garden, from that point on, there has been a, a desire in us, almost at the foundation of our being from the moment we're born to, to elevate ourselves over other people at the expense of crushing other people. Since the dawn of time, where did this come from where one kingdom would seek to conquer another to take its land and see those people as less valuable than... Why was, why was slavery... A th- an acceptable thought, you know, because you could see, we we talk about this and people like to use this as a as a political point that slavery was some thing that America created, but really it ended with America's period of slavery. I mean, but it existed up since the beginning of time, the fall of the garden when we were kicked out. Since then. Till the Civil War and the things that happened after that. Why? Why was that something that someone just innately thought and it was a natural expression and something that just natural happened? Because it's not some. it's like if you go into a cave painting in one part of the world and you see an animal depicted and then you go to the other part of the world and that same animal is depicted. It's like these two weren't communicating, but they had the same things. And it's the same way with us putting down and stomping on someone else for our own elevation. And we have a society built on that, right? Like any, any issue you have with pharmaceuticals or insurance or any of that stuff, I mean, that's just a company. And at the end of the day, what's a company's job? Make money. That's a company's job. Unfortunately, and fortunately, because there's, there's not, it's not a good thing, it's not a bad thing, but Insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, big medical companies. The privatized medicine allows us access to more things, but at the same time, it also makes things very difficult and sometimes a little sketchy. You know, people with insulin, diabetes, type 1, type 2 diabetes right now. Insulin is like, I mean, it's insane. It's insane what it's costing. And it's a, it's a fictional cost because the cost of getting it hasn't gone up. They're just changed, you know. Anyway, so that's neither here nor there. But, there's, but what is that company's job at the end of the day is to make money. So does it matter if people, they don't want people getting better, right? Because then there's no. Well, there's, there's, there's no money in a healthy society. Right. There's, there's no money in it. And again, it's a business, and a business's job is to make money. But now people are involved. And like nutrition, groceries, 2019, we could go to the grocery store, 200 bucks, we'd have food, week and a half, two weeks. Now, about 500 bucks for a week's worth of groceries for two adults and two little kids and a, and a baby. It's like, and, the, the, and you guys all know this because we all go grocery shopping. The portion sizes have decreased. The quality of ingredients has gone down while the prices have gone up. But it's a company. They're trying to make more money. They're trying to grow. That's a company's job. But they know that they're serving people. And they're using products that they know make people sick and they don't care. Why? And I, I can't even, because what, broke people, 
hurt people. That's just what we do. A broken system will always create further brokenness. But at the end of it all, I just, I can't get away from this question of how, where does this come from, this natural thing? What exactly is it that just instinctually causes us to do this? Because it is instinctual. Because it's existed since we were wild and it exists today when we're civilized. It is instinctual to put down those next to you if it elevates you. Why is that? Why, why, why would Russia look at Ukraine and think, I don't care that you're there. We're going to kill you all and we want that land. Yeah, it's just like, what's, what's the need? What's the need? What's the need of it? Um, you know, the Israel, Pakistan, I know they've got their religious things, but at the end of the day, the religion, they use that as a, dis- that ain't it anymore. Because most of those leaders have abandoned the religious things and they're just in it for the money that they can gain in those things. And you can hear those leaders of both those groups articulate that very thing. And they'll use God and he's just an easy, convenient solution to disguise the things that they want to do. And it's just, it's just ridiculous how, how common it is across the world that we would seek to destroy one another. And where, where exact, what is the root, right? That's what, that's what we're taught, not, not try to deal with the actions, attitudes, and behaviors of things. Because if I hold an orange to an apple tree and say, start producing these, it, it don't change the fact that that's still an apple tree and it's going to produce apples. So the only way to address those things is to change the root, right? Change the very thing that gives it its identity. But what is that root? that has existed since the dawn of time to make us put down one another. It just exists everywhere. That story that we heard uh, two weeks ago from that pastor uh, that I shared when he was just sharing testimony, what it was so natural for that other pastor to immediately begin to criticize a fellow pastor that had just had a horrible thing happen to him just lost his church and that dude didn't skip a beat to belittle him and we do this all the time there are documentaries made by christians trying to uproot bethel church and bill johnson and chris valentin who we heard that was chris valentin who we heard two sundays ago and um then there there are christians who are actively against joel Osteen, joel Osteen and and billy Hinn and all that stuff and without any desire to understand at all where any of these people are coming from, I just hear a little bit and then I will, I'll put you down as quickly as I can. And what, bring, what shakes me in this is that this reality that most of us then, if this exists, most of us that call Christ Lord would have probably put him on that cross just as fast as everybody else that did. Because we are so keen to tear each other apart. Why is that? It's just so, it's, it's mind-boggling to me that we would seek to do these things. And we'll do it to children and we'll do it to our elders. Why are we as a society? Do you know uh, that we are moving towards, we have right now, we have more people 65 and older than we do 17 and younger in this country. And it's getting greater And at the same time that it's increasing, 40% of clinics for those people 65 and older that they've gone to those places to receive help are closing down. There are 40% less clinics, walk-in clinics, where those elderly can receive care. We have a society that that is just kicking our elders to the wolves. Just, eh, we're done with you. You can't contribute anything anymore. You can't work a nine to five for me. You can't make me any more money, so I have no use for you. Why is that so natural? It's such a natural step, right? We've been talking about in this, um, it's kind of a flow, but I'm going to give it because I don't want any of that on the recording because that's, that's uh, processing things out loud with a group of people I trust. This does not need to be broadcasted to the World Wide Web just yet. Um, so Steve, we'll start right here. Um, But anyways, what we've been talking about and what we're seeing 
in this conversation we just had, but now on to Wednesday night, it's, it's all transactional. And if you can't give me anything that elevates me, I want nothing to do with you. And if you do have a little bit that can elevate me more, I'll use you till I squeeze out every last drop. And then once you're done, you can't elevate me any further. I don't want anything to do with you. That's been, that's, that is a transactional relationship. And we talked uh, three weeks ago now, we talked about how prayer is not transactional. We do not exist in a transactional relationship with the Father. Again, what that means is a transactional relationship relies entirely on the expectation of reciprocity. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. And unfortunately, a lot of our relationships we have today exist in this way. Even the relationships that we would say are our closest relationships, like our marriages, our best friends, our family, our Savior. We look at these things as a transactional relationship. And the value is moved, the scale of a person's value is moved based on what that person can do for me and what they can't do for me. If they can do a lot for me, they hold a lot of value. If they can't do a lot for me, they hold no value. And unfortunately, people pursue in their own lives to be that person that can be the one that has the most value in everybody's story because I can give them everything. And they can't do anything for me. So many people want to be the person. They disguise it as humility and kindness, but really it's just their value system. Of I, I want to be the person that everybody has to come to. Because then I'll, unfortunately then I'm worthy. Then I have worth. And that's just not it. That's a, that's a miserable existence. And that's what we do in the flesh. That's what we do with flesh. We assign value to people based on our own evaluation of them. And that does not look like Jesus. That is self-serving. But the reality is, is we're not made for those kind of relationships. So really, if we're not made for it, it's not even self-serving. I was thinking about this today as I was writing out this review. That's not self-serving, that's self-harming. Because you are operating in direct conflict to how you've been made. Because we were not made to assign value to people based on what they can and cannot do for me. And when you do that to someone that you were made for, we are members one of another, made for each other, to be a body united in Christ, when we are made to be united together, and I assign value based on what you can and cannot do for me individually, I'm harming myself because what I'm doing is I'm blocking out someone that is meant to unlock God-given things in me. And we've, we do that by assigning worldly values to them. Now, a transactional relationship has a place in our society where it is appropriate, like work and things of that nature. If I stop showing up, I don't show up and I don't teach on Sundays and Wednesdays and I stop leading the way I'm supposed to, then I don't get a paycheck. It's a transactional relationship. I'm meant to do what I've been asked to do and what the job requires. And this is for anybody with a job that gets a paycheck. You're meant to do a job. If you don't do that job, you don't get paid. And vice versa. If I do the job you're paying me to do, but you don't pay me, I'm not doing the job. Right? That's an appropriate transactional relationship. But not for the deep places of our heart and relationships that are meant for more. Like with the Lord, with my wife, with my kids, and those I call my friends. But unfortunately, so many Christians hold God in a transactional category. If I do good, I'll get good. If I do poorly, if I do bad, then I'll get bad in return. And there would, in that place, and if that thought were true, there would be no point for Jesus, because then what is grace? Grace is the recognition of what I can't do and what he can do and what he freely gives to me, though I don't deserve it. That's grace. He forgave me while I was still a sinner, knowing full well that even when I received his blood, 
having received his sacrifice for myself, taking my place upon the cross, that I would not have to face the, the, the pain and the uh, punishment of death, and that I would no longer be separated from him any longer, having received all of that, and still at moments I choose to sin against him. But he still loves me and nothing changes there. That's grace. There's no point for any of that if it's just based on the things I do and don't do. For God so loved the world, not for what they did. For God so loved the world, period. That he sent his only son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Forgiveness of their sins. But the forgiveness of sins has been made available to all the world. They just need to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. But it's already there. No matter what we do, no matter any of those things, no matter the actions, attitudes, behaviors, it does not matter. It's been made available for us. So it cannot be transactional. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they did what only they can do, not for what I can do, but for who I am and who I'm meant to be. Simply to be reunited with me. Again, Jesus, the author of the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling the world back to God. It's why he came. It's to establish this relationship. And it's to establish his creation and this bridge back to creator. Again, that we could be filled with the presence of God as we were always meant to be. Filled with the presence of God. And so prayer is to reflect that. Recognizing that he loves me and I can do nothing to change that because I'm his son. And all I have to do is ask. No conditions. But as I abide in him, ask for the desires of my heart. And this um, good and perfect father who withholds no good thing from his children will release it. Not because of what I do or don't do. Because of who I am. I'm his son. And he's a good father. And so today, in continuing on the conversation of prayer, the key to prayer, as we've talked about several times, is relationship. You will never understand prayer, and your prayer life will never be very deep at all if there is no depth of relationship between you and the Father. The depth of relationship will always be reflected in your prayer life, all the time. It's, it's, a, it's a conversation. If I know a person really well, how long do you think we spend on the niceties of just very simple conversation topics? No, we don't stay there very long. When you know someone in deep relationship, you get into the meat of things pretty quick. It doesn't take very long. And those niceties, they oftentimes they don't even exist in conversation. You just jump in into depth. And that doesn't mean just always deep and heavy conversations, but you can just jump in. I know what, I know what makes them laugh. I, we're, I know how to have a good time with this person because of the depth of relationship. When you just know a person at an arm's length, there's not that quick connection and that ability to just flow into deep and, and meaningful and enjoyable conversations and time together. Prayer, and the key of it, is so much based around relationship. And understanding that we must remain in his will, abiding, pursuing the heart of God in your own life. It's, I'm going to read this. We know it well. You don't have to go there. It's it's John 15, 4 through 8. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. We cannot do it without it. Like it says right there, unless you abide in me, or unless... uh, You cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. If we do not remain in him, we are those that will be gathered and thrown into the fire. You cannot bear fruit outside of the vine. I cannot rip a twig or a branch off of a tree, throw it on the ground and expect it to begin to grow limbs. And expect it to begin to grow leaves and fruit. Because it has been disconnected from its life source. What it was made to be connected to. 
what it's grown out of. Understand that we, we are not these branches that are being attached to Jesus. We are finding our identity in him and we're growing from him. We're meant to grow from the vine. And I just, that's just a real quick understanding. For some reason, the way it's been taught in the church, this group of verses is that we were already branches and now we're being plugged into the vine. No, that doesn't work. I can't go to a tree, duct tape it, a couple branches to it, and then those branches just, Wah! they originate. Those branches originate in that and they grow from it. We are meant to find our identity, our purpose in Jesus and then allow him to grow us from that place. But I can only grow from that place and grow from the vine if I remain in him. The conscious choice of remaining in the vine. We cannot do it without him. And he desires, this is the other thing, he desires that the fruit of our lives be the testimony of our relationship with him. He desires for us to bear fruit. He desires, he desires for us to see and operate, and, and he desires for us to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, to cast out demons. He desires for these things to be present in our lives because we are bearing fruit and so proving to be his disciples. He wants us to bear fruit. And for some reason in our society, we've kind of gotten out of this mentality of him desiring us to bear fruit in our lives. Noticeable fruit. Not the not the the fruit of personal relationship. But what that leads to. Because we are, the world is to see us in the fruit of our lives and know who we belong to. He desires for miraculous, inexplainable, impossible fruit to come from our stories that the world would see. Not that it would be like, well, I don't know. Eh, that could have been anything. That it would be like, I don't know what that was. Kind of freaked me out. They're definitely not from here, though. It says this. It reads it. We, we look at it in Acts. When it's talking about the new church and the, the, the miracles that are taking place and the power of the Holy Spirit that is being put on display. And it said that they feared them. They loved them. But no one dared join them. Because people were joining them and lying and being struck dead. Because the presence of God that was on them. So you weren't just joining them lightly. Because you knew once you joined in, you were all in. And you were going to see some intense stuff. It caused a, a pause in people to recognize this is something beyond my understanding. Unlike anything I've ever seen. This is a power unlike anything I've ever seen. I just saw a man walk down the street and his shadow touched people and they were healed. That would be terrifying. And what I mean terrifying, I don't mean cowering in a, in a corner rocking back and forth because there's a monster coming at you. I'm talking about terrifying because it is so beyond your realm of understanding. Again, what do you think those Israelites were doing? Do you think they were just skipping through the Red Sea as it was parted? I guarantee every one of them was terrified because they were seeing something that was impossible before them, knowing that there is no way I will ever be able to explain this. And that is terrifying, right? That's why we dismiss the Holy Spirit from the church because he's scary because I can't explain him. I can't fully understand him and I can't control him. And that's terrifying. Who wants to sit in a car that you can't steer and go 80 miles down the road? That would be terrifying. That, that's the spirit. He's, he is a freight train that you cannot control, you cannot steer it. You just get to enjoy the ride in it and relinquish the control of it. But the Lord, all that to say the Lord desires fruit to be seen by the world around us in our lives. He desires these things. He wants... He wants there to be fruit in our stories. But what happens? When we begin to process the desires of the Father's heart that have been given to us, if we abide in Him and His Word abides in us, 
It's by that that we can ask whatever we wish because we know that in that, the design of prayer is created and that the Lord in our pursuit of Him would put the desires of His own heart in us that we could pray for these things and He could give them to us because those are the things He desires to see released through us. The desires of His heart that He desires to place in us. But what happens again? And this is getting into what we're talking about tonight. What happens when we begin to process the desires of the Father's heart given to us in the flesh? And this is why this is up on the board here. Hopefully everybody can see I'm a lefty. I'll do the best I can uh, staying out of the way. For those listening online, um, sorry, just pay attention. We're looking at a, a diagram of body, soul, and spirit. And so we know in 1 Corinthians, hold on, let me get there real quick. 1 Corinthians 2, here we go. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 through 12. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. Now we have received not a spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So what do we have here? We have this revelation, this understanding that the Spirit searches the heart of the Father, knows the heart of the Father, and then what do we get? We get a relationship with the Holy Spirit that then imparts these things to us, that we can now have the desires of the Father's heart within us. And what is this supposed to look like? Now, now that I know the desires of the Father's heart, I join together these things because you can't pray absent your, your mind. Will and emotions are always affected. Your body, you're speaking, you're thinking, you're hearing, you're working. A lot of times we're taking a posture, right? This is a full body. Prayer is a full body thing. No one's going to deny that, right? You can't pray absent your flesh. So the, but these things, the, the body, the soul, which make up the flesh, are joining in, submitting to the vision of the Spirit, what has been revealed to the Spirit by the Father. This, is, this whole process is revelation. The understanding of the, de, the, the desires of the Father's heart that have been given to me, and what, what does He desire for that to do? Just come full circle. I pray these things back. They've been revealed and imparted to me that I could then begin to intercede and pray to see these things release, right? Intercession, again, is climbing into the heart of God to discover what the desires of His heart are and then partnering with all of heaven to see them released. That's what it is, right? This is the design, but where does it go wrong? These things, again, are yielding. The soul and the body are yielding to this, but what happens? Again, this is the question. When we begin to process these desires in the soul, and this is exactly what happens. We we take this, what has been imparted to us, the desires of the Father's heart, and then they come down here. And we can begin to think about them, we begin to feel things about them. Right in the soul, we begin to sense and react to these things that the Lord has revealed to us. And then from that place, we start to pray. This is the conflict that we've, we're running into more and more. And I believe, I believe this very strongly because I desire to see people healed. I desire for the people of this house to see someone as they're walking into the grocery store and go over and lay hands on them, say, rise up and walk, and continue on about their day as this person has just received their legs back or has just received healing. Whatever it may be, I want the people of this house to be able to impart those things to the world around us. But there's always this question in me, and this is one of the things that it changes individually. There are things that the Lord needs us to learn because we've been really poorly taught about healing 
and different miraculous things in the past, but why, why do we not see it more? We walk with the Spirit. Why do we not see it more? And I believe this is the reason. I believe this is the reason because we begin to process these desires of the Father's heart. We begin to process them in the flesh, allowing how we think and feel, <coughs> excuse me, how we think and feel to then guide our prayer. No longer in the spirit, but operating in the flesh. This has happened every one of us' experiences. When we can sense a desire for those that are abiding in the spirit, we can sense a desire for the Lord to release healing. I can feel it. I know it. But then what do we do? I stop allowing the Lord to reveal to me exactly what he intends to do with that because healing is a big word. There's a lot of options within that that I don't understand. But what I take then is I've heard that word and now, boom, I start thinking and feeling how I would like that to begin to happen, what I would like for that to look like. Oh, the Lord... The Lord wants to release healing over this person that can't walk. He, he wants them to walk. He's, we're going to lay hands on them, and they're going to walk. I've taken a piece of the Father's heart that He's revealed to me, and I've stopped allowing Him to bring revelation in a moment. I've immediately processed it in the soul. I've put my own thoughts and my own feelings attached to it. And now I'm allowing those things to guide my prayer back to the Father. And then it doesn't happen. In the way that I thought and felt it should have happened. The result is that I begin forming preferences around the desires of the Father's heart. I, I, I form preferences around the desires of the Father's heart, and I will pray for those preferences that originated in me, that originated in me, not in obedience to what has been revealed. So oftentimes we stop. This happened not too long ago. We stopped because we wanted healing and we felt compassion and we felt a desire to see healing be released. It would be like if we stopped praying for Kennedy and Debbie because we started praying for healing. We knew the Lord desired healing. The Lord spoke it right here. That he was going to release healing. He said that through them there would be revival in those hospitals because of their presence and because they would see without a doubt that it was the Lord that was doing this. And there's not a one of us in here that didn't begin to put an idea around what that would look like. It's almost impossible for us until we practice not doing it. But did they receive immediate healing just done? Not in the way that we think. But did we pray for healing to be released? Is that what the Lord asked us to pray for? Or did He ask us to pray for a specific way the healing needs to look? Did we trust in the reality that when I prayed for healing, it was released from heaven? Because I knew it's what the Lord desired to do. And that's where my job ends. And the reality that the Lord said, I will bring revival in a place where there has only been brokenness for the last two years. That has been under conflict after conflict after conflict for the last two years. I have friends that are nurses that were just, people would come in, they were so desensitized to the death of COVID. And they heard about vaccines, and what did they do? They're like, just get the vaccine. It, they say you can't get it anymore, and we know that things have changed. There's different information out now, right? And there were other of us that were like, we just need to slow down a little bit. But for those that were on the front lines, if you need it now, you need it now. They don't know that the war, the war is slowing down. They just know that they're in the fight right here. And so they'd get, and this is true, my friend would give me testimony of people that he worked with that would look at a sheet, this person has COVID, they're not vaccinated, let them die. I'm sick of it. 
I'm going to go take care of people that were responsible and got the vaccine. It's like, oh, oh my goodness, yeah. But they were under such conflict. Ever-changing was the standard of care that they were supposed to deliver. They had no idea what they were supposed to do. And every one of those people that died, who's the family looking at? You couldn't save them. And they've got to wear that. They've got to go home with it. Because they couldn't do anything. They're answering to practices and procedures and they have no say in it. They just have to do it. Horrible. Horrible conflict in hospitals. Horrible conflict. Hard, hard, hard places. We have lost so many medical professionals because of COVID. They just said, I can't do it anymore. I'm done. We're at a shortage of doctors because they're just like, I I can't do it anymore. Their heart is broken. And the Lord said that through this family that had cancer, a wife, a mother, and a daughter, diagnosed at the same time within weeks of each other, finding out that they have cancer, the Lord said, through them and their story, I will release a recognition of my presence in that place. And what have we seen week after week? Testimony after testimony after testimony. Has there been struggles? Has there been difficulties? Of course. What did Debbie Diaz do yesterday? She's cancer free. She rang that bell. She's done. She, she finished. The chemo worked. She's done. And what did we see day after day when Kennedy was in the hospital? Teams of doctors, not asked to do it, led by the Spirit of God to do it, would circle around and pray over her, so much so that they said throughout the day there were teams of people that would come in, surround her, and they would simply come in to pray. In my experience, I've never seen that in a hospital. I've not been there a whole bunch, but I've spent my fair share in hospitals. I've never seen it. Is that not the healing that the Lord promised? Does it look different than the way we thought and felt about how we thought that healing should have, what we begin to perceive as how the Lord will do this? There would just be healing. It'll be gone. But at the same time, We interceded for Tim. And that healing came immediately. We interceded, and that night things drastically started changing. Drastically started changing. These things that we think and feel when we begin to process the desires of the Father's heart, they're often not bad things. They're good things, right? To see somebody instantly healed is not a bad thing. But if they are not in obedience to His hearts, we need to understand this. If they are not obedient to the Father's heart, they are like filthy rags. It is not what He has desired for His. It is disobedience. We have to understand that. There is a design to this prayer thing that is built and equipped for our good and our further depth of relationship with the Father. It's meant to be a beautiful thing that we would bear fruit and so prove to be His disciples. But so oftentimes He just begins to share and we're like, okay, thanks, I have enough. I'm going to go here now. I'm going to run with it. This is what I think we should do. This is how I'm feeling about it. And this is just where we go. And unfortunately, that's how most churches are guided by what we think and feel we should be doing based on what the Lord has shown. He gave me a little bit and then we took off. That would be like us having revealed that the the Father will create within sundown its own ecosystem that will thrive where it should not thrive, that will grow when it should not grow. And we thought, you know what that means? We need to go out and plant some trees. It's like that... What? That's not what the Lord said. You took a little bit of what He said and you ran with it and took off and started doing something that had nothing to do with what He was saying was going to happen. And so much of this has created so much disappointment in the church. So many people think the Lord doesn't speak anymore. No, He does, but you've stopped listening. You listen for a moment and then you listen to yourself again. 
It is a process. It's not an easy one. But think of, think of the early days of the Spirit where they had no thoughts about this. They had no idea how this was going to look. They just freely allowed Him to lead. And there were miracles left and right. The church was born within moments of the Spirit being released, the church was born. I mean, within moments. And healings begin to happen within moments of the Spirit being released. They had no preconceived notion. They had no thought or expectation. Just that it would be exactly what the Lord said it would be, their helper, who would lead them into all truth and righteousness. That's what... Acts 1, 7 tells us. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It is not for us to know what is to happen next. It is just for us to receive and operate in obedience in this place. Not to begin to take the steering wheel away from the Spirit. He is the one steering. He is the one directing. And there is freedom in that to pray and, and do these things. But for so often, we, we take a little bit of what the Father has said and we begin to immediately process it in the flesh. And then we guide our ministry from that place of what we've processed in the flesh. It's this message that that Randy shared with us, don't look at their faces, look at mine. Because if he looks at their faces, what the Lord has said, he'll only hear part of it and he'll begin to preference it in the flesh. And the message will begin to change. That is exactly why the message has changed. Why churches are formed, they're just, what, what can we do to get them in? The messages are changing. The environment is changing. The Spirit of God has no place in there because He doesn't really fit for that model. We, we cannot, we cannot allow ourselves to be swayed by thoughts and feelings when it comes to what the Lord has asked us to pray. Just simply pray those things. That's why I encourage when, when the staff preaches, don't dress it up. You preach what the Lord has given you to preach. If it's five minutes, if it's 55 minutes, that's what it is. You speak what the Lord needs you to speak. In that comes the evolving of length and the ability to, to preach a sermon. But it starts by the simple obedience to just speaking what the Lord has said and not adding to the Word of God. But that's what we do, unfortunately, in our prayer life. And it's, it's not because... We're intending to. We've just been unaware that we're doing it. It's just been something that we've been unaware of, myself included. As I've wrestled with so many things of healing, why am I not seeing healing the way I want to see it? And he's like, because it's the way you want to see it. That's the problem. You're not willing to receive and speak the healing into existence that I want to see. You just want it to look like what you want it to look like. And in that place, we miss it. If I began to preach that the seats would be full, we would miss it. If that were my motivation, what my thoughts and my feelings were consumed by, we would miss the power and fullness of the word of God that he has for us. Because the message would not be his anymore. It would be my own. I would be adding to the Word of God. That's why there's been so many words about the Lord just saying, there's, I think there's another one coming Sunday. We'll just see what the Lord allows me to preach on Sunday. But it's, He's rebuilding. And when you are rebuilding something, you don't have as much as you did when it was finished. If I'm rebuilding a house and I tear it down to the slab... There is not as much on that slab as there was when I started the rebuild. I tore it down. There was a lot there. Now there's not very much there. 
right? A remodel. There was a lot on those walls. Now they're just studs. There's not as much there anymore. But that's necessary, the stripping down for the rebuilding or building something new. It doesn't start with a lot, right? It, it, it starts with very little. If, if you're going to rebuild, if you're going to build something brand new, it just starts as an empty lot of space. And then there's a slab. And then there's walls. But they're see-through. They won't keep you warm. And then there's wires and plumbing. And then a roof won't keep the water out. But it's up there. And then all these layers get built onto it. But you have to start with nothing. Just an empty, willing piece of land. And then allow those that know what they're doing to begin doing it. And that's where the Lord has us as a church. So to try to fill these seats would be a disservice to this church in its future. Because it would not allow the Lord to do exactly what He desires to do in this season. And for what it needs to look like right now. It's coming down to this, this, this simple question that I ask myself often. Do I desire the heart of God or do I desire my own interpretation of that desire? That, own, that heart. Do I desire His heart truly? Or do I desire my heart and what I think his heart should look like? If I desire his, whatever it looks like, at whatever cost, then you see the glory of the Lord. And that is where we are as a church, and not just us. We have to understand, those that are walking with the Spirit, I'm doing my research to make sure we're not out on left field all by ourselves just chasing a butterfly. That we are actually where the Lord would have us. It's good to hear the testimony of other churches that I know operate with the Spirit of God. And every single one of them articulates this season of rebuilding. Of something new that the Lord is preparing for. That's why I've heard two prophecies that have existed in this house in places that have no idea we exist. Nearly word for word. thousands of miles away come on we know they're not just like I wonder what sundown church is saying today they don't know we exist I lived in Texas my whole life I didn't know this place existed until I came out here I thought sundown was a time of day not a city where people lived and there are plenty of people that are 35 minutes away from us that have no idea where we're talking about when we say sundown like what? And you just say Leveland. They're like, oh yeah, I know Leveland. I lived in Leveland. It's like, we're only 15 miles away. How do you not? But even them, people in Leveland have no idea we exist. And if they don't, I, I doubt churches 2,000 miles away from us are like, yeah, let's listen to what Sundown's doing and then let's preach those things. No. They're answering to the same spirit that we're answering to and he's revealing the same things Because this is what the Lord is doing to the world church. It's not just a sundown thing. It's a kingdom of heaven on earth thing. And the Lord's doing it across the board. So to take and begin to pray. Things that have been revealed from the Father. That I've now processed in the soul. Is a great disservice. And it is disobedience. And we will not see those things. Because we, and even if we see the healing, we won't see it as healing. We won't have the mindset to understand what the Lord has done. If I was just getting frustrated because Kennedy was not immediately healed, I would not be praising God for the doctors that are meeting with the Spirit because of that introduction that happened because Kennedy is there. I wouldn't be praising God for the reports that they send so often of how the Lord is doing so much more than just healing her from cancer. I wouldn't be praising God for those things because all I would see is an unanswered prayer. No, the Lord is answering our prayer because it's what He desires to do. He's just waited on us to ask for it. 
And we asked for healing because he said that's what we're to ask for. And he, we're asking for revival to break out in those hospitals because that's what he's revealed. And at the end of it, that's the end of it. Whatever it looks like is what it looks like. I, have, I, I, I can't exist outside of time or eternity, but he does. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. He does. So to try to put an interpretation on what it should look like is just wasting your time, your breath, and your energy. And your life is but a mist on this earth, so you don't have much of it to waste. And there's just no point. Because all that lies there is disappointment. We cannot hope to understand the heart of God and all that He desires without the Spirit of God. And without yielding to the process. And without and just protecting ourselves from processing these things in the flesh. Because what that does is it dismisses the understanding the Holy Spirit would bring us. When I process in the flesh the things that the Lord has revealed, I dismiss the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to bring understanding. I miss that. So many in our community miss the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to reveal the full picture because we take a little bit, we process it in the flesh, and we then pray those things, our preferences, and that's all we're praying for. And that's all we're praying to is a preference. A preference of how we would prefer God to act and for God to be. And we miss the full picture of God that is right before us. We miss opportunities as well to bear fruit and so prove to be his disciples. So we must understand that if prayer is so based on relationship, I must allow he who understands all, sees all, to be the one that guides that understanding and not take what I think I know and begin to try to steer the ship on my own. Because in that place, you will pray in disobedience. And it's, it's not a disobedience. It's not a disobedience where there's, there's a spanking coming for you or you're going to get grounded. That's not what it is. It's not the result. You just don't bear fruit where you're meant to bear fruit. And you don't get to be a part of establishing the kingdom as the Lord desired. And that is only robbing you of joy and fulfillment in your own story to operate outside of who he is and who you are is no fun. It's not a fun place to be. But we put ourselves in that place when we receive revelation and then process those things in the flesh and then pray from what we've processed. No more. Recognize when the Lord has said something that that's what he said and that's the end of it. I'm going to pray until the Lord speaks more, until he reveals more. And what he's revealed is enough. I don't need to add to it my own thoughts and preferences. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.